Hello and welcome to Headcanon. I'm Benjamin Light. And I'm Marco Sparks. And I'm Samantha Rullo from Bustle. Welcome back. Thank you. We're wrapping up the Back to the Future series right now. We're on to part three. Written and uh, directed by Robert Zemeckis again, and Bob Gale is a writer as well. Same same crew and everything. They shot these back-to-back with part two, released on the 20th of May, 1990. It's the uh, sixth highest grossing movie of 1990. Hmm. You can definitely see the fall-off. I think Back to the Future 1 was like the number one movie. Yeah. And then 2 was the number three movie, and this is the number six movie. Yeah. <sighs> As it should be, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can see why I loved this movie in the theaters as a kid. I can see why I don't love it as much as an adult. Yeah, I was never even super into it as a kid. This is the one that I think I only saw like once. <laughs> well, shall we do our uh, opening statements? Yeah. When did you start this time, Benji? All right. Um, man, this movie, I uh, watching it again, it it wasn't like the other movies where I was like, Oh, I forgot about this. Like it, it seemed pretty much what I was expecting. <laughs> um, it felt more like a movie featuring characters from back to the future than an actual back to the future movie. It was just like, Hey, what if Marty and doc had an old West adventure? Uh, cause they're not really trying to like fix the timeline at all. Uh, or like, or, you know, maintain the timeline or make sure something happens. They really just want to get back to the future. And the only stumbling block is how do they get to 88 miles an hour? And they, they're like, all right, we'll use the train. And they're just like hanging out till the train shows up. Um, the train sequence is really fun. I think that's definitely the best part of the movie. And the first act, like establishing the stakes and whatnot, that's pretty decent. But the, the whole middle where it's just like Doc has a romance with Clara and like Marty picks fights because he has an ego. That's just like, oh, my God, like it's just as boring as I remember it being in my youth. Hmm. Um I mean, I guess it was ultimately a satisfying conclusion. We got to learn who the hell Needles is. But, uh, I don't know. As, as a movie, it's just, it's lesser. It's just not as good. I, I mean, I guess it's not, like, super rapey, but other than that. <laughs> what about you, Sam? Um, yeah, I kind of agree. Like I said, I only really saw this one once when I was younger. I'm not a big Western fan. Um, my biggest, like, frame of preference for Westerns is the Mary-Kate and Ashley movie, How the West Was Fun. <laughs> um... <laughs> So I was never super into it. I just remember watching this one and being like, why is there a train? Why are they cowboys? Um, and watching it now, I think like my favorite part of the movie was like the ending when they were back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just, yeah, I was hoping I'd be like cleverly surprised and like, oh wait, like I just didn't get like the genre at the time. But now I hope that I still really was just like, it was too much shenanigans for me. Mm-hmm. It was like, it's like, I kept like waiting for the plot, but the whole movie was just like shenanigans. It was just like, oh, now we're going to get into this fight and now we're going to do this like silly dance. <laughs> it was very just like, more, it was more silly, I think, than the others. And that is like, yeah. yeah. Um, so let me just sum it like this. You can't go from Huey Lewis in the news to like ZZ Top. Like that is a, that is a downgrade. Um, I, you know, and I, I was the one who like I, I remember watching this in the theater as a kid and loving it, and now not loving it. And I just kept thinking as I'm rewatching it, when they're in the 1955 stuff with Doc and and Marty, couldn't it have just been solved by Marty being like, "Hey, Doc, you just read, you're going to get shot. Don't do that." 
like, does Marty actually have to go back to the Old West? Because he's talking to this guy as a young man. I think he does, because it's, like, separate timelines. It's not, like, Bill and Ted's. Yeah, I don't know. But this one, like, it loses that, like, paradoxes upon paradoxes through the looking glass quality. And it just, it feels like the science fiction Western comedy fan fiction. Um, and I just, I found some reviews that were fitting. I mean, Ebert talked about how it looks like the old West stuff was just like a sitcom shot in the back lot, <laughs> which totally figures. Yeah. And then there's an interesting sentiment from the New York times review of the movie, which is basically the film is so sweet natured that it is instantly forgettable, which is why I feel like I, I liked it as a kid. It's a perfect kids movie. Um, like the romance between doc Brown and Clara makes sense. If like, you're like a, a child viewer, but as an adult, like when she's climbing on the train during that sequence, I'm like, look at your shoes. This is a horrible idea. What are you <laughs> thinking? <laughs> and I just groaned. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I like that, Lisa, it, it starts in the 50s. Then we're in the Old West. Then we're back in the 80s. We cover all of our time periods except for like the future future. Um, but yeah, I, I was so happy when we finally got back to 85. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, what are our, our top three moments? Any honorable mentions? Uh, I had an honorable mention. Okay. No, go ahead. Uh, my honorable mention was when Doc came the first time in the 1800s with his like, really fancy science gun. <laughs> Just because uh, I feel like we haven't really gotten to see Doc interact much with the like Biff characters. Mm, yeah. So I liked his fancy gun, and I liked that it was the first time we had like a fake Biff Doc showdown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, my honorable mention is uh, Doc describing the future to the guys at the saloon. <laughs> I just thought that was amusing. Is he just holds his single shot of whiskey? The Doc is such a cartoon in this movie. He is manic as fuck. Yeah, it's a, it's crazy. <laughs> like I wanted Mari to be like, Doc, how are you surviving in the eighties, you know, without your prescriptions? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, do you have any honorable mentions, Marco? No. Go go with number three then. Uh, starting in the, the drive through theater in the 50s, like going to the wall with the Native Americans on it, and then ending up in the middle of the oncoming stampede of actual Native Americans. It's an interesting gag, but I feel like it's 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 also kind of born out of the more obvious old Hollywood feel of, of oh, feelings what about the... Western's supposed oh, to be. Oh, what a Western feel like, yeah, like the outfit that Marty wears. And Marty's like so clueless about actual history that he thinks, yeah, okay, this thing of tassels, sure, I'll wear this. Also, just, I don't know, it's humorous, just Marty needs to start thinking fourth dimensionally. Um, See, shouldn't he have, like, been up to speed on that by now? I mean, he's been time traveling for a while. Like, well, he's, like he's, I, I feel like that was just because they wanted to explain time travel to the movie audience again, in case, like, we yeah. forgot in the last six months. Well, I mean, effectively, he's spent, what, like, nine days traveling? Or I feel like he should have picked up on it by now. You'd think Marty would be a little more savvy, but like mm-hmm. he's a character who nothing ever bad like really ever happens to him. So, yeah. All right, Samantha, what's your number three? Uh, my number three is when Doc tells Clara the truth and she slaps him <laughs> because it was the first. She literally said like the words like demeaning, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Wow, this is the first time they've ever acknowledged like yeah. <laughs> you know, aggression in this whole thing." Even though he was actually telling the truth and like. What he did wasn't demeaning. The fact that she acknowledged that if he was lying to her, it would have been. I was like, finally, three movies later, someone stands up for themselves. Also, or they stand up for themselves. It's a pretty outlandish like uh, reasoning for why he's going to hit it and quit it. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's funny. That's actually my number three as well. 
Um, <laughs> it was just nice to see her call bullshit. Like I, I kind of hate her character about half the time she's on screen, but she has these moments where she seems like a real person and not just there for to be Doc's love interest. Like in that moment, she's like, "No, your story's bullshit." You were obviously just taking advantage of me because, you know, I like science, you know, like she, she becomes like a, an actual human being there. I really like that moment. Yeah. Uh, so my number two is actually uh, your honorable mention, Samantha. I love Doc Brown rescuing Marty with, from being hung with his badass super scope sniper rifle. <laughs> it was like for the first time I was like maybe away from everyone else. Doc Brown has leveled up to being cool and confident and, and something interesting. And then he's immediately back to being this manic weirdo who although his inventions to like make breakfast work a lot better than the one that like pours dog slop into a bowl at the beginning of the first movie um my only issue with that sniper rifle is he's only like 50 feet away i feel like it would have been a little more impressive if he was like all the way down the street or something yeah with like a bullhorn or something like quickly down under or something you know yeah yeah exactly but like i don't know doc brown's science hero of the old west (laughs) It feels like a comic book that I would have loved as a kid, even though I, I like you, I kind of hate Westerns. Uh, okay, what are we on, two? Yeah. Two, sorry. Um, my number two is The Return of the Hoverboard. Yes. <laughs> um, I was, like, really excited just to see it again in the beginning when he was, like, sleeping with it on his feet. But then my actual <laughs> moment is the very end when it comes to the rescue on the train, just because I was, like, excited. <laughs> It's a it's an actual like really smart use of it too. Yeah, I feel like it's more it's like a better use of it here than in part two because mm-hmm. that was just like a dumb chase through town square. But this is like actual like oh you have to be off the ground. Like he could have technically run away from Biff in part two, but this was like no, it, we need to be floating right now. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just so cool. Yeah. And even the way Doc caught it, I was impressed. He didn't have to swab. Let's see. My number two is when. Marshall Strickland shows up and he makes Mad Dog and his gang check their weapons. Uh, it's just satisfying to see a lawman show up and put Mad Dog in his place. Yeah. Like, what is this line? Something like, I'll smile on the day I watch you hang or something like that. Well, because he's, he's out of town to watch some guy named Stinky, Stinky Lomax. Lomax. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like, there's not enough eyewitness accounts of like Mad Dog trying to hang a kid <laughs> in town the day before. Um, my number one moment is actually just them coming back to the present on, in the end on the train tracks, because you got to think, uh, fourth dimensionally with like the, the, the bell ringing as the, the train's coming to, and the things are lowering down and then the train crushes the DeLorean. I just felt like it's the final movie. I want it to come to a close. I want that sense of closure to it all. It, it, it worked for me. You know, Marty has to dive out of the way at the last minute. And I just... I remember kind of actually laughing as a kid the way the DeLorean just shatters yeah. on impact with just like a thousand little pieces. I like the way the train just keeps going. Yeah, like, unfazed. Completely destroyed a car and just keeps on going, doesn't stop. Nobody comes back to check. Yeah. Um, My number one was actually when Clara and Doc first meet with the horse chase. Um. Also, this is weird because I'm not working actually already, but it reminds me of a scene in It Takes Two when <laughs> <laughs> Steve Gutenberg takes Kirstie Alley on a horse. Mm-hmm. And um, so I already had the nostalgia. But that was a moment that like I thought was like a more fun Western moment where it was just like an action scene. And then it was cheesy, but in more of like a fun way. And I feel like the rest of the movie was cheesy in a not as fun way, mm-hmm. 
like mm-hmm. I think they were purposely over the top with them like falling for each other in that moment mm-hmm. in a way that it was like sweet before it became annoying later. Yeah, my number one is just the the final sequence on the train, getting up to eighty miles an hour and whatnot. Um, it's just it works. It's it had the uh, the weird logs that explode at a certain temperature, which make for nice little uh, beats in the action scene. Uh, just a fun scene. I like the the color coded logs, like it, it the smoke and everything. Mm-hmm. It gave you a good sense of the rising stakes of that that scene. Any complaints? I'll go. I thought the romance was super boring. <laughs> and I just I didn't like the way Clara seemed like such a sap like half the time. Yeah, I didn't understand. I didn't like that there seemed to be no justification for her liking him. No. It seemed like a yeah. very Lorraine thing where it was like hero worship again, where it's just like, Oh, you're the one who saved me, so now I'm just obsessed with you, even though like you have crazy eyes and I don't know you. Yeah, and she's buying what, at least twenty, thirty years younger than him, easy. <laughs> What was your guys' feeling about the the inclusion of like the Irish McFlies, which sounds like the worst kind of aphrodisiac, but like uh, I will get to them in my my power rankings. Okay. Yeah, same. Um, I was not a fan of Seamus, though. I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like they were so much more boring than every other version of the McFlies you've seen, and they were so just like inconsequential. Like they didn't even have to be there. Ex- exactly. Like it was just an excuse to have that parallel to other movies. Yeah, yeah, with with Lorraine, like past Lorraine. Uh, plus the scene after the town dance, the I can't remember her name, but like you know Irish Maggie. Lorraine and Maggie is clearly not looking at either Michael J. Fox <laughs> <laughs> in the special effects there. Uh, I didn't need to see Marty moonwalking. I thought that was kind of cringy. Yeah, he just I, like keeps was... doing it over and over again. Yeah, him dancing, and there's a sequence of the 1950s doc in the beginning i thought were both just like so over the top with like the physicality that i was like annoyed (laughs) he's just like in a modern way i cannot not see michael richards and kramer and some of christopher lloyd's like like body acting well just the the constant like like he doesn't hear people like he's walking around and people are like right behind him like doc like takes it the fifth time they call his name for him to turn around and mm-hmm. like then he juts his head back. You kind of wonder if Marty like is he actually just a huge dork and we don't know because he's portrayed as a hero. That... Like why else would hang out with this guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, like... one of my biggest complaints was also that Marty chose the name Clint Eastwood. <laughs> I like I couldn't every time I said it I was like like angry all over again. <laughs> why why did that make you angry? Do you not like Eastwood? Because it was just so ridiculous. Like, mm-hmm. no, it's like if I went back in time, I'm not gonna say my name's Kim Kardashian. Like it's just stupid. Like <laughs> like let me just pick some crazy celebrity and then you can mess up the timeline because that was two Clint Eastwoods. But I mean it's it's the Calvin Klein thing all over again. But at least that wasn't his fault. This was yeah. like he, True. he wasn't wearing a label that said Clint Eastwood. He just chose that name. True. This one seems like, like he's trying, yeah. Biggest ego of all time. I was like, at least he didn't say John Wayne. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised he didn't, really. Yeah. It was it's much more of a John Wayne type of Western environment than a Clint Eastwood one. Mm-hmm. But they had to, I mean, it almost made me respect the foreshadowing of using the scene from that Spaghetti Western in the previous movie. Um, I just hate John Wayne movies <laughs> so much. All right, well, let's uh, dive into the general discussion. I thought it was kind of funny how they worked in 
the time travel sequence from the end of part one into all three movies. Yeah. They're <laughs> just like, you like this in the first two movies. Let's show it again at the beginning of the third one. I like that. Then you had that weird interlude of the opening credits where we're just like transitioning from the rainy night to the next day of Doc's mansion. I mean, I kind of like like the sleepy morning that they have. You know, like you said, the, the feet up on the uh, hoverboard. It just felt like the movie just like it hit the skids real quick and like slowed way down at the start of their first act. I feel like Doc just sent someone back to like in time travel. Mm-hmm. He has accepted that he time traveled. So why does he have to convince him? Like, why is it so unbelievable that Doc himself would time travel again? Like, he seemed too skeptical considering you just every did this. other movie. Yeah. 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 Um, he has to run into his bathroom again and hide, yeah. I I did like, I mean, like in, in a kid's movie, I like the little, the physical acting of like Doc, like sitting on the, the organ. You get that crazy bedlam music. But this movie, I don't know. This movie was just like geared up to annoy me. Um, well, it really seemed like they they think the audience forgot that what a Back to the Future movie is. And they had to remind us constantly, like, let's walk you through how time travel works. I, but I feel like it's like the time, like me time traveling to myself as a viewer and being annoyed with what I saw. Like the future is not so great. I'm finding out that maybe I only, maybe I only married this movie because I felt bad for it <laughs> after that car accident or whatever. Um, but also when 1955 Doc Brown finds out that his future dog will be called Einstein, is there like a question of free will called into play there? I, I don't, he made the face he made when he found out that the dog's name was going to be Einstein. Was like he was so he couldn't believe it. Yeah, well, and I was like your dog's currently named Copernicus. Like exactly. how much stretches it? Yeah, it's like that seems like it's pretty pretty you know obvious that you would name your dog after a scientist. I don't know why you're so shocked. Does he have it like on the wall? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, Marty McFly can't pronounce the word schematic. You can't read the word schematic. Yeah. Why does he put Doc's like stupid like mind reader hat on? There's like no reason for him to put that on. And he knows it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It's like he just needed something to do in the scene. So he's walking around. Also, re- returning to the great jokes about Japan's dominance of the tech market in the 80s. That was insane. That was so weird. But there's a weird, there's a weird, I don't know if it's like an anti-Japanese bent. Oh, well, this was 1990. You remember that? Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's like, oh, was he Snipes and Sean Connery are going to like burst mm-hmm. in and investigate this crime or whatever. I was going to say, isn't that also though because it was supposed to be in the 50s and like, that was like still post World War Two. I guess. Yeah. You know, I mean, the joke is that in the fifties, Japanese technology wasn't nearly as good as it was when they'd kind of taken over in the nineties. So it's like, haha, Doc, you don't realize Japanese stuff is like high quality now. Yeah. yeah. I like how Doc's tombstone mentions how he died. Very specific. That was the most specific tombstone I have ever seen. Oh, it even said over eighty dollars. It didn't yep. even just say mm-hmm. over money. Yeah. What if all tombstones are like that? That'd <laughs> be really dark to go to what, a cemetery what if it's just like so and so born this day died this day and then the bottom it just says syphilis <laughs> it's just like died in a car accident was texting <laughs> yeah so no it was so specific it'd be like died in a car accident going 74 miles per hour sending a text that said k <laughs> his his hair didn't look great that day either mm-hmm <laughs> Was that just uh, how things worked in the Old West? They just had to make sure they remembered who killed who? I just assume that creepy uh, mortuary guy is just like charging you by the word. <laughs> oh my god, that guy was so scary. <laughs> I like that guy. 
I think I that guy, I don't think I put him on my rankings, but he almost made it. He's number 11 on mine, mm-hmm. put it that way. <laughs> he was terrifying. Yeah. Well, it's a great, it's a great bit where he's like trying to give him the suit and he's like, later Marty's like, I don't want the suit. And he's like, oh no, it's for your coffin. <laughs> uh, I'm always fascinated when, when genealogy enters into like time travel fiction. I found that, that interesting. Maybe it's the first time like Marty's actually looked at his own genealogy, let alone the very specific history of Hill Valley. Well, can we talk about how Marty's ancestor on his father's side looks exactly like his mother? Like, how does that make oh, sense yeah. at all? Yeah, that's a good point. I can't even think about that. So there's... It's there's... Like, I mean, obviously they wanted Leah Thompson in the movie, but... You know. Yeah, but like, if you think... Of, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Well, I mean, like, it'd be one thing if you're, if, if Marty is somehow just kind of imagining in his mind, like, writing his mom's face over this, that'd be one thing. But it's like, I'm kind of wondering if the McFly family and, and her family kind of dipped back into that same pool, like some unintentional incest. Mm. I mean, the- this movie's all about incest, so this franchise. So. Yeah, yeah. This is the only time when Marty hasn't been, like, attracted to his mom. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know if he's more turned off by her here when the lights come back on or if in the Biftopia with the uh, mannequin yeah. boobs. I guess he's not into the Irish accent. <laughs> I was confused. Did I miss something about Doc's genealogy? Like, why wasn't there an old Doc? Oh, because the, uh, the, the family didn't come to like the early 1900s. Yeah, oh, so okay. they used to be the Von Brauns and they came from Germany. Oh, okay. I missed what year that was. Mm-hmm. And they changed their name during the First World War. Yeah, you were talking earlier about the uh, the thing with the drive-in. It is weird how they like they make this joke about like, haha, this is how the fifties people thought cowboys dress, mm-hmm. you know, like all cheesy. But then he goes back, and there's you know the angry Native American horde coming at him, and it's like that's exactly the same stereotype you were just making fun of, and then you're just yeah. going with it now, you know. Well, so so Marty's ridiculous old west like like cowboy outfit that he wears with tassels, like it has the little Adam thing like, oh, yeah, to the symbol. shoulders which is interesting um but like there's little nuggets of this that i want to love like the the crazy only in a back to the future movie dialogue where he's leaving the 50s and he's like see you in the future you mean the past exactly <laughs> like i want to love that but it gets it gets lost in the swamp of some of this other stuff i will say that they say the actual phrase back to the future is significantly less in this movie than in part two yeah <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's still a lot, but a little less. Why does Doc have like a starting gun that he fires for Marty? Like, like he's like checking his watch and timing. Like, what is the point of that? Uh, yeah. Apparently, Hill Valley is right next to Monument Valley. Also, like, I just wonder, is it really that common for a family to never leave their exact town for a hundred years? Wouldn't they be like rich? Like, you know, owned a lot of land and... Yeah, like, like, to be in the same... Ex- not even like they stayed in the same area. Like, they stayed in that exact town from the moment it was founded. Mm-hmm. Until at least... And they're still living there in 2015. Yeah. So, uh, does anyone have any good, like, Revenant jokes after Marty encountered the bear? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> that bear didn't seem very big. Not like the one in the Revenant. <laughs> Although it did take his shoe or his boot. Yeah. 
And then he had his Nikes. Don't be, and they and, could advertise those again. Mm-hmm. And no, like, Doc's like specifically like, you can't wear those in the past. You know, it'll confuse people or whatever. And it's like, no, the Irish McFlies are, I don't know if they're just too dumb or, or they're too moccasins. poor. Yeah. Uh, what else we have here? Doc's hat in this movie is just dorky to me. Like, it's it's too tall. I don't like any of the hats. I don't like any of the clothes. I hate Western things. <laughs> None of them even have like a good Western hat. Like even Marty's hat is kind of dumb. Well, maybe the, the second dog one is supposed to be like intimidating. He just looks stupid and he's dirty all the time, which also oh. bothered me. He's like, yeah. covered in mud. He's Imagine totally filthy. <laughs> but like. He looks like he smells like all the outhouses in the world, and yet he's not the one they call Stinky Lomax. <laughs> Imagine how bad Stinky Lomax has to smell. Well, I want to say real quick, uh, the Irish McFlies say, Little Will never takes the strangers. And I just kept thinking, like, you guys live in the middle of fucking nowhere. That's a baby. How many strangers <laughs> is that kid interacting with? Yeah, really. And what do you mean he doesn't take like to them? Four months old. Yeah, does he, like, bite the strangers? What, what does he not take to? Um I mean, it's interesting to see Hill Valley as like a single street in 1885. Like the courthouse is apparently going to be that old. Um, yeah, it's a pretty ambitious courthouse they're building for this tiny town. I, th- I think this movie is actually the origin story of the clock tower. So that's yeah. why. Yeah. Yeah. But like that's a that is a massive courthouse building that they're building. It's like, what are you going to do with that? There's like 25 could- people who live here. You could all move into that. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, the three guys in the bar were all assholes. I thought it was an interesting touch to add in like three old, like old actors who do old West stuff. Um, the one guy was like on Green Acres, which is Toby Cavanaugh's favorite show, and he voiced like the mm-hmm. sheriff in the Disney animated Robin Hood movie. Um, but I think that's really where, like, you could tell, like, Zemeckis's head was at. Like, he really just wanted to make some kind of ode to old, goofy westerns, mm-hmm. which is weird in a in the Back well, to the Future franchise. That and like, it, this movie's just goofy. Like the whole Ice Cube gag with Doc's like machine. Yeah. Like he doesn't seem Doc in the other movies, at least like the present day Doc, not the fifties Doc. He seemed kind of savvy. Mm-hmm. You know, had like a dry wit about him. Whereas this Doc, it just seems like a completely different character well he's you know there's something fundamentally wrong when the character is like happier than the Mm -hmm. old west like this scientist who's already lamented in his letter across time that some of the shit i need won't be invented and it just seems i don't know is he like there to die like is he just given up on life until he meets clara it was like he obviously gave up on his his second most important thing in the universe which is conquering women or whatever it was supposed to be (laughs) How old do we think Doc is at this point? I have no idea. Because he looked like he was in his 50s in the 1950s. Yeah. Well, and, and the Maybe weird... Maybe 40s? Uh, the weird plastic surgery that he yeah. supposedly had, you know, in between one and two, which we don't know how long that gap is. Well, he's got to be at least mid-70s, I would guess. I mean, maybe he had some yeah, work done. Yeah, I was 70s, too, which is why when he has children at the end, I was shocked. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you got to look at those kids. Yeah. Maybe maybe there's some genetic breakdown happening That one there. kid, though, mm-hmm. real freaky looking. The one who keeps it pointing at his junk, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
But I mean, like the the gag about like making making somebody dance with the bullets, like that's so like old old eighties. And then, like you said, he starts doing the moonwalking thing, which <laughs> white guys don't need to be moonwalking in general, <laughs> unless unless it's an awkward moment with a group of friends and you just need to moonwalk out of that room. Like you you don't need to be doing that in the old west. I really wish that they had cameras in the old west, so someone could have been like, "Hey, Michael, it's your great great grandfather." Hey, Michael, you know that new dance you've been looking for? (laughs) (laughs) That would have been classic. Also, it's just, it's it's weird. The only thing that saves, like, Doc knowing that the the woman he's supposed to end up with will show up the next day and it'll be potentially love at first sight is, like, kind of like that Marty described as, like, being struck by lightning. And then he starts talking about how it was like that for him and Jennifer. And I kept thinking, like, Jennifer's so out of your league. I do not know what she sees in you. Also, like, you're 17 years old. Relax. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> what do you know about anything? You're wise old man. Yeah. Um, but I didn't understand why was Doc, like, so against falling in love to the point where he was like, and I make sure he didn't meet her. He's very, like, scattershot. Like, sometimes he, like, doesn't seem to care about altering the timeline. And then other times he's like, no, I'm a scientist. I have to, you know be responsible yeah he just seems like eh, no i don't want him to deal with loving someone wouldn't it make more sense if there was like a fourth movie and like that doc had to come in and sabotage himself here and half of it is like another doc interacting i don't know it just yeah well there's no timeline interaction here other than like who's gonna die and so it's not it's not like they know what's gonna happen they're trying to tweak events or anything it's just like here's an adventure in the old west also, it's like a half an hour into part three where they actually start to ponder, was it indeed fucked up to leave poor Jennifer on the porch <laughs> in Biftopia? Like, there's no nope. guy, she'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, she seemed really well rested at the end, so I guess she enjoyed her nap on the swing. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, I liked that the fuel injection manifold didn't just blew, like it flew off the back of the car. So why didn't they just go siphon the gas from the other DeLorean? I mean, there's there's a few plot holes in their uh their that's a great point. Their plan, yeah. yeah. Or they could have just uh like tweaked the the speedometer so that it didn't have to hit eighty miles an hour. Yeah, yeah, it hits two. <laughs> <laughs> um, I enjoyed that this time Marty's incorrect order was ice water. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Because he always. Usually it's because the thing doesn't exist anymore, but apparently they did not have water in saloons. Well, it's like, yeah, it took you two sequels to realize you can't order Pepsi-free or whatever. <laughs> it would have been funny if he still ordered a Pepsi. Yeah. I don't understand why they take the DeLorean out with, like, the stagecoach horses. Like, Doc's just like, yeah, horses top speed's like 20 miles an hour. It's like, so what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> what were you okay, expecting to happen, Doc? Yeah. Um, I that was interesting. There's that kind of foreshadowing that the uh, the bridge or the ravine is named something else up until some school teacher fell into it, in which it changed names. But that Marty and the other kids also remember that so well because they have so many teachers that they would wish would fall into the ravine. Wait, was that another movie, the ravine thing? No, it was this no, one. It was in this one. Oh, no, I thought you meant like it was foreshadowed in an earlier movie. I was like, holy oh, shit, that's impressive. That would have been, yeah. Well, if it, yeah. The timeline stuff is interesting because if, if they'd never gone back in time, Doc isn't there to volunteer to pick her up. She goes over the cliff. Because Doc goes back in time, he is there to stop her. 
picks her up and, and then it becomes Eastwood Ravine because somehow they know that Marty went off the cliff. Hmm. He's like, like Doc Brown is so upset because like he's changed history by saving her life. Like you said, but these two have like notoriously bullied time whenever they wanted to, but they also like, cause I mean, he specifically has Marty go to the future to stop him and his family from being assholes. And yet other times, I don't think they even realize the time has changed. Like the the one pine or the two pines mall, mm-hmm. becomes one pine mall. Um, I don't know. It's like, again wishy washy Doc Brown. Like he's upset about the shit he's done to the universe whenever he feels like it. Whenever he's like tantrums dictate it. Well, no, a lot of this movie is just time killing. It's like, well, the train's coming on Monday. So we'll just wait, and Doc Brown has time to make like an incredibly detailed like model train set yes. of what they're going to do, which features electricity. <laughs> yeah. I said I felt like I was just waiting for the movie to start the whole time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, also, I'm amazed at how turned on Doc Brown and Clara get in each other's presence. It's like watching Old West, like old Bella and Edward here. I mean, they're just like making like oh, oh, you know faces at each other. Well, and then you get the bullshit like, oh, he has to protect her virtue because Mad Dog's, you know, being uncouth at the dance thing. Which almost made me think, like, shouldn't there be something with Mad Dog and Maggie? Or, I don't know. It's like the... Yeah, I guess they got tired of that plotline finally. It's like the, inter- the, the introduction of Leah Thompson makes it weird. I mean, I'm so glad that they found a role for her in the Old West, but they didn't tend to utilize her. And they wanted to like like stomp all over the Mary Steenburgen character, which again I just want to talk about eighties gossip. So Mary Steenburgen, of course, married Ted Danson. She was like the first big relationship after his romance with Whoopi Goldberg. And then I was like, I don't really know a lot about Mary Steenburgen. And then I was reading that her first husband was Malcolm McDowell, hmm. which is bizarre to me. I just so, know her as the mom from Step Brothers. Yeah. So does Doc get laid? I think is that the so. implication? I mean, they have children. Well, I mean, well, yeah, eventually, but like in in the the past, that is the old west version of Joseph Gordon-Levitt, like getting the 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 wink from Han and like doing the dance, <laughs> well, walking around with their like stupid flower thing. Yeah, I just yeah, I didn't get the love at first sight thing from her end. Like for him, I understand because like as far as we know in these movies, he's never experienced female attention before in his life. Right. Mm-hmm. But then from her end, I was just like, why are you so enamored? Because he reads better. Jules Verne. Yeah. Before that, which, okay. He also, he, he's, the fact that he's from the 80s and was so impressed that a woman, like, could read. <laughs> like, I was like, you're not actually in the 1800s all the time. Like, you've been to a time when women have careers. Like, come on. Yeah, he's impressed that she can read. It's like, he's forgotten that she's also the school teacher. So, yeah, like. like that's kind of part of her profession. She's probably the most professional person in this whole town. Don't say Jules Verne is very like right, like rare. That like, oh, I'm sure people in the '80s read Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. That just bothered me. Did you catch? There's a brief shot. I think it's like after they had their like romance with the telescope. It's the next morning, and uh, Marty's getting up out of bed in his pajamas, and his like ass slap is happening. Twice. Open. There's the one shot later on where they do the taxi driver riff, and it literally starts mm-hmm. on a shot of his like right bun. 
Like, why is just, like, the right ass hanging out? That's, like, an 80s and 90s thing, right? I mean, like, didn't, like, like, Jean-Claude Van Damme couldn't do a movie without showing his ass or, like, Mel Gibson. It's just now you've got that other prominent sex, male sex symbol of the (laughs) 80s, Michael J. Fox. (laughs) My favorite part of the telescope scene was her just casually mentioning how she had malaria one time. Yeah. (laughs) Just, like, you know, usual. (laughs) You gotta tell people about your your history. (laughs) One time I had malaria, so I got a telescope anyway. (laughs) Doc's like, cute story. I really dig this Undertaker. I want to. I want to see a, a movie about him. I wanted him to have like a, a contemporary in the future. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Um, I did like uh, when Marty realizes that he's going to be the one who dies. Like he does the Great Scott, and Doc does the That's heavy. <laughs> also, Doc Brown gets a lot of mileage out of describing things as infernal. I mean, he says this infernal time machine like so many times. How does Marty know how to ride a horse? (laughs) Like Marty is like a really good horse rider. From some kind of arcade thing, maybe? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) The mechanical bull. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say I was glad that Marty learned a lesson from Doc via a bulletproof vest. Yeah. Yeah. Although it doesn't mean, it doesn't seem like they really tied that together the way they could have. Like, yeah. as instead, it's like he learned that from a Clint Eastwood movie. A lot of room for error, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'd be a job in the head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just the, the 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 horribleness of like lack of medical technology or care in that time period when. Uh, when Mad Dog's going to shoot, like, Doc with his little tiny gun in the back, and he's like, it's going to take you two days to die. And I'm just like, oh, God, slit my throat. Do something. <laughs> Throw me off of something heavy or high. Well, so that, that would mean that if Marty wasn't there to stop it, Doc would get shot then, and his beloved Claire would have known him for all of, like, what, a day? Yeah. yeah. No, but they had the love at first light eyeball orgasm, so it was real. Sure. She was like, the one who was just we went like to one dance. Got she was like base. the one who was like, "It's eighty dollars for posterity's sake. You have to inscribe that on his tombstone." <laughs> um, um, I was disappointed that none of Biff's cronies had special eye gear this time. Yeah, yeah. I know, I they could have found a way to give him some kind of old Western glasses. Seriously, or just like a monocle. I, yeah, <laughs> I don't give a shit. Bring in Billy Zane, <laughs> like Billy Zane's great grandfather. Um. It's funny in the modern sense that Doc Brown drops Googleplex as a number here. Um, I had completely forgotten that it's an actual number. Um, yeah. Which is uh, the number 10 to the 10th power to the 100th power, which I didn't know that offhand. I had to look that up. But I mm. was like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's a number. That's heavy. That wake-up juice looks totally foul. It looks like he would give you the shits for days. Um, it kind of doesn't like a really strong Bloody Mary to me. I don't know. So apparently it's something called a prairie oyster cocktail, which is real enough that it has a Wikipedia article. <laughs> What's in it? Raw egg broken oh. into the glass so you don't like mess up the yolk. Worcestershire sauce, hot sauce, salt, and ground black pepper. Oh. It looks like it they're putting like... more than that in there. Yeah, yeah. It looks like just like salsa, like a Bloody Mary thing. Yeah. 
you will wake up, you will be sober, you will be like, where is the outhouse? <laughs> I am on fire. <laughs> well, the whole sequence where he, he has to, like, decide whether or not to fight Mad Dogs, it seemed kind of strange, because it's this whole build-up where it's like, Marty's going to learn to not care about being called a coward, and he's going to do the right thing and run away. But then, like, Doc gets caught, and now it's like the same beat all over again or it's like we're waiting for marty to come out again yeah hey you got a back door to this place yeah it's in the back yeah <laughs> i just um didn't understand like i felt like there wasn't enough justification for why he suddenly didn't care anymore by the end because mm-hmm. like even in the old west someone calls him like yellow or whatever instead of chicken mm-hmm. and then and he was still upset and i was like at what point did he have his big like ethical moment i guess it's like the mirror image of Seamus McFly telling him, like, he pep talk from himself. Yeah, like, finally set in. Okay. It's even weirder, though, when you think about the fact that it's the mirror image of himself married to the mirror image of his mother. <laughs> they couldn't even bring in the guy from the second one who will play George McFly in the, the end of this one to, like, well, play him from a distance or something. Like, it couldn't have been, like, Elizabeth Shue or something as the mom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's why it's why like I feel like Back to the Future would also work if you could see more of those crazy theories about like it's all a dream that Marty had or something, and he's got some issues he needs to work through. So they know. I was gonna say they they know that it was you know Clint Eastwood who uh, went off the the ravine on that train. Mm-hmm. Would they also know that Doc was on the train? Like, wouldn't he be wanted for train robbery? Or science experiments? Yeah, I don't know. Also, my favorite line of the whole movie was, is this a holdup? And then, like, we look at each other, and then it's a science experiment. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's there's little nuggets where, like, I want to love this movie, and somehow it still doesn't quite coalesce. But, like, the Wikipedia article for Hill Valley's got to be amazing. It's like, a lot of people don't know that Clint Eastwood and, and Calvin Klein both <laughs> came from here. <laughs> What color is this? Like fuchsia that uh, that Clara has on at the end. I really enjoyed that outfit. That was my favorite look of the whole movie. It's like the only bit of like non-brown in the movie. Yeah. Except for the five-minute hippies cowboy outfit. Yeah, yeah. That was like all of the colors. Well, it's like the it's the same color as like the flower he's like smelling so copiously after their night together, right? She's very fashionable. Yeah. She's got complicated Old West ladies' footwear that would seemingly put you in complete peril if you're trying to crawl on the side of a train while in motion. I think the, like, what is it called? The thing that makes your hips look really big? I think that's more of a danger than the shoes. True. It's all pretty recklessly <laughs> bad for. Don't they call that a bustle? Or am I thinking of something else? Well, a bustle is like, um, it's like, t- kind of, it's a kind of, it ties to the top of your, like, your dress up. Okay. Like, they still have bustles on wedding dresses. Yeah. So, yes, yeah. <laughs> okay, right on. Topical. <laughs> see, see, it all fits in somehow. Yeah, full circle. I wish we could say, like, and guys, that's why we had Samantha here. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we were that clever. Um, I think uh, Mad Dog might actually be cleaner after getting covered in manure there. Yeah, he does look cleaner as he's spitting out green shit. <laughs> like, in the. Sorry, good. Party's spitting out at the dinner table. Can someone please? Oh, shotgun pellets. Oh, 
Yeah, my parents had to explain that to me as a kid when I watched this movie. I was like, what is he doing? I like I understood why the water roasted him out, but I didn't understand what he was spitting out at that moment. Oh, we even talk about the water at the uh, at the McFly's serve, Marty. I think my favorite jokes in the movie were the water jokes. Just the ice water and then the cloudy water. Yeah. Um, so, so they get back to the eighties, you know, the, the DeLorean is destroyed. Marty, of course, returns home before going to check on his fucking girlfriend, which drove me nuts, you know, and there's Biff who's still like neutered in his track suits. There's like fake Crispin Glover, like hanging out in the back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then he goes and finally checks on Elizabeth Shue, who's still sleeping on the porch in her bad wig. She was miraculously transported to the new timeline, which doesn't make sense to me. Um, and then she about her her nightmares well so okay my question so obviously we know where the movie ends but for that moment when she wakes up and she's like I had the craziest dream if he doesn't confirm the future shit was was not a dream to her and and she continues to feel a little bit crazy about it does that count as gaslighting probably yeah Okay. I think if he encourages it yeah like if, he, like, if he keeps bringing it up, like, well, remember that time you thought you went to the future? Obviously, you're crazy. I hope she's remembering, like, oh, wow, in the future, I only marry you because I feel bad for you. I think she does. Like, during... That's, that's that look on her face, like, yeah. oh. Which is one of my favorite moments, just because at least she she gets some kind of purpose out of it or some like some kind of acknowledgement of something out of it like it's not just this poor girl being left in a dumpster and then left on a porch doc's just like oh the future is what you make of it and she's like cool i'm out of here <laughs> later well i didn't realize when they were talking about the car accident that like really screwed up his life instead of the sun thing uh-huh. uh the last one I thought it was happening like more in between that future and 1985 but it happens like the next day like that was they made it sound like, I thought it was like the 90s, maybe. I don't know. But it was like, no, it was literally one day later. He like, Doc, why didn't you, why did you just tell him not to race that guy the next day? I wondered, exactly. was that like, was that intentional just to have some kind of, some kind of semblance of growth for Marty? Because otherwise, he's a fairly like flawless hero. Like, he has no like real unconscious desire. He just kind of bounces from thing to thing to thing. He's learned not to let his ego take over when somebody calls him chicken. Yeah. Also... If Needles is the guy, well, if Needles is the guy who got you in that accident, like fucked up your hand and ruined your Wild Stallions music career or what have you, or the the Pinheads, like you're not gonna you're not gonna grow up to be Huey Lewis. Like, do you really want to rely on this guy for like insider trading, yeah. like schemes in the future? I guess also his name is Needles. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's kind of like the old original timeline where like George McFly is still like subservient to Biff, even though Biff is horrible, you know. Mm. I thought it was kind of funny in the the scene where they're about to have the race. They drive by this like new housing complex, and it, this is obviously like this is a '90s housing complex. Like this would not have existed in the '80s. You can tell it's brand new because it's all like stucco and tile. Mm-hmm. That, all, that all sticks out to me as like being definitely not 1985. That's where they're gonna live someday. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Ugh. <laughs> and well, it is like a terrible neighbor in the future so. yeah yeah she could tell i hope if nothing else she takes from all of those adventures is like let's avoid the chapel o love <laughs> maybe let's get out of hill valley yeah 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 let's break the cycle also let's see other people 
I like that she kept the you're fired facts. That was a nice touch. Yeah. Because they still have faxes in the future. So if Doc can go to the future, why didn't he go there and then build a better time machine than a steam locomotive, like this giant monstrosity? The steampunk train just, it, it doesn't look good. It also looks really unwieldy. Like, wouldn't you mm-hmm. want it? I mean, like the DeLorean kind of makes sense in that it's relatively compact, at least to a large train. Well, if you're going to make it. It looks like a Willy Wonka train. Yeah. And like all yeah. the extra like stuff you put on it, it looked like it was like Willy Wonka. Yeah. I mean, if I like had a chance, like okay, do over, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a second time machine. I'm not gonna put a, a speed limit on this one. I'm gonna like make it, make it so I can just flip a switch and time travel. Yeah. I also because... maybe make a kind of more timeless vehicle, yeah. so that you know, because the big problem was always hiding the DeLorean being attacked by farmers because of like a spaceship. Just pick like a very modest car that could really fit in. Well, yeah, and the, the the speed limit seems arbitrary. Like, I don't think that's like one of the fundamental forces of the universe, because otherwise we'd all be zipping into the future on accident whenever we hit eighty eight miles an hour. So, like, do you really need the motion quotient? Like, do you need like your car to be your time travel car to be jumped, or what have you, <laughs> or propelled? Man, we got to talk about the Vern there. Yeah, that kid looks like a fucking psychopath. Yeah. He looks like he was about to murder them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, like Stacy made of Marty was terrifying. I'm going to eat you in the future, Marty. <laughs> uh, part I, four, they have to go in the future to prevent him from yeah, murdering. It becomes him. like a time traveling mass murder or, or something. I would love it. I would love if it had kind of a a, a little bit of a oh, what was that movie? The 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 movie version of Lost in Space. Oh, the, the Gary Oldman? With Gary Oldman and all that stuff. I would love it had a little touch of that. I actually kind of love that movie. I'm Matt LeBlanc. Yeah, Matt LeBlanc. Well, and, Lacey and, uh, Chabert. Yeah. Lacey Chabert is amazing in that movie. The whole, like, do they have a name for what's wrong with you? Uh. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, if we could change anything about this movie, what, what one change would you make? I wouldn't end it on a ZZ Top song at all. I would change the stakes somehow. I don't know. The like gravestone thing just didn't grip me. It's it feels like the old West should have just been like a single act of the movie. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's kind of what I had. Like the the plot thread, like there there's nothing interesting or creative that they're doing to like, you know, make sure your parents get together or make sure you steal the the Gray's almanac back, you know, like mm. It's just like, yeah, we just need to get back to the future. That's it, really. Yeah. And then try not to die. Yeah. And also, like, it was even that, like, the time period was, like, not long enough to be interesting of him living there for a long time, but not short enough to be, like, super suspenseful. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it was just, like, low stakes. It's just like, oh, he's going to go back. Okay. It basically, because his whole mission was to keep low profile until he could go back. So it's like. <laughs> Well, and all they had was the the tombstone thing. Where it's like, oh no, we want to make sure you don't die. Well, it's like, well, obviously, yeah. Like, that's that's always going to be part of the plot is that the main character doesn't want to die. You know, it's not you're not really working to make sure that the timeline stays intact or anything. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, do our power rankings. Yeah. 
I would say they could do like the that Star Trek episode though, even where like Marty has to actually go back and ensure that Clara does die. Yeah, that'd be dark. I mean, but like that's basically it's something with where William Shatner has to go back and make sure that uh, uh, Joan Collins does die because otherwise Hitler wins World War Two. You know, mm-hmm. it's it, yeah, it is it is heavy. Like that poor Doc, and like he finally gets love and he has to let her die. And I don't know, they don't have to have a weird looking kid who points at his crotch and his steampunk <laughs> time machine. You know, yeah, that's what I'm Maybe the other movies get to go back and kill her because that kid, yeah, like, yeah. The world down. Like oh yeah, killing they Hitler plotline. Yeah, they can't procreate. <laughs> or they just stop after the first one. It's just jewels. What if Marty just like invents condoms in the eighteen hundreds for that one? <laughs> <laughs> Wrap it up, Doc. <sighs> now I'm thinking about Doc having sex, and that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's not an aphrodisiac. That's called an Irish McFly. <laughs> <laughs> so my number ten is uh jeb the saloon old timer he's the guy who did the voice for the sheriff of nottingham in the robin hood disney movie yeah uh, mostly just for that reason because yeah. that was always my favorite disney movie as a kid yeah um my number 10 is mad dog <laughs> i like because i always said that like the biff the various biffs and griffs at least they were like bullies but they were like so over the top and they were like funny and in part two 50s biff had like you know, it was just like, at least he's an entertaining villain. Mm-hmm. Mad Dog, I, like, could not give a shit whenever he was on the screen. Yeah. Like, it was just boring and annoying. And the way he danced with Clara made <laughs> oh, me almost yeah. throw up. Yeah. The faces, he was, like, licking her face. Oh, and the, the, the gonna get $80 out of you. Yeah. It was, it was terrible. Well, and also, $80 in, like, like 1980 or 1885. Isn't that like, like millions? Oh, that's like millions of dollars. Like that's that's a whole career in the sex worker profession. That poor woman. <laughs> um, also, just think about like a dark timeline where like they do the thing where the guy I can't remember the actor's name now who plays Biff and Griff and all them. Like they do the thing where he has to dress like a woman and becomes like Tiff or something horrible. Yeah, I think Mad Dog's an improvement. Um, my number ten is actual Clint Eastwood. <laughs> <laughs> Not bad. Uh, in case you were curious, $80 in 1985, apparently with inflation, is a, a little under $2,000 now. Wow. Wait, from 1985 or 1885? For, from 1885. Okay. According to Google, which hmm. I'm sure is right. I thought it would be more. Well, if you would like... Just because just, I feel like in the 50s, it wasn't it like, a, like 10 cents to see a movie? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Maybe if you put the $80 in a, like a compound interest like savings account or something. He'd be like a billionaire by maybe a hundred years later. There's a great economic like film theory analysis paper to be <laughs> written here. Uh, what were we, are we on number nine, nine now? Okay. Uh, I had Copernicus at number nine just for him having his own little like mining helmet when they go find the DeLorean in the past. I have Copernicus rated a lot higher on this mm. list. <laughs> well, as you know, I'm not a dog person. <laughs> Um, right. My number nine is Seamus McFly. Um, similar to Mad Dog, he's my least favorite of all of the McFly incarnations. He's just so boring. I just realized that I don't have Seamus or Maggie on my rankings at all. <laughs> See? They're number 12. <laughs> Forgettable. Um, my number nine is actual Jules Verne. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably like the... like. 
I don't know, like Haruki Murakami of like 1880s, like fiction, I'm guessing, or something. I don't know if that metaphor makes sense exactly. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever actually read a Jules Verne book. By yeah. the logic of me named their children, if I ever had two children, I would name them JK and Rowling. So, like, I don't, <laughs> I don't like that. I'm just going to say, based on seeing these movies, you think that Rowling is the one you want to watch out for, but I think it could be <laughs> JK. Keep an eye on that one. Do you think that uh, if she could go back and do it again, would she, would Joanne Rowling still pick J.K.? Because that kind of like, you know, it's like that's a saying now. Like, oh, J.K., you know, just kidding. I wonder. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like her initials though, right? So I guess she doesn't really have that many options. No, she doesn't. She, Joe, she, she doesn't have a middle name. The K's, oh, she doesn't? No, the K is completely made up. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, I guess maybe she should just, she should just send Joe because then it's like still gender neutral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'll consider that for my future children, I guess. <laughs> I, I mean, I always kind of wondered, is it is it kind of meant to evoke a little bit of like C.S. Lewis? That kind of like it's, it's you know, if you do any research, you can tell she's a woman, but it's like maybe it could be a man because that's kind of still haunted. Probably. Fiction, right? I, I'm sure she's given an interview somewhere where she explains it. But yeah, I imagine it's to be gender neutral. But yeah, I mean, I think I read that's what it was because, yeah, because she didn't want people to think it was like a book only for girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, she she seems to have an interesting idea about like the identity of the author, at least with like Robert Galbraith. Mm-hmm. I kind of hope that she just keeps trying new genres and things and like new pseudonyms and seeing seeing how people react. I don't know. Anyway, where are we on? Uh, did you guys both do your number nine? Yeah. Okay, number eight. I have uh, Mad Dog Tannen. Mm-hmm. Just uh, he's there. He's boring. He's dirty. He doesn't, he doesn't, I don't think, have a single kind of like amusing moment, really. Yeah, that's what I was, he doesn't even get to do like a fun Western version of make like a tree and get out of here. Like, a lot of missed opportunities. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to cheat just real quick to say that my number eight is actually Mad Dog as well. My number seven is the bro and Mad Dog's posse, who's like the human dictionary for him. Oh, the the guy who corrects him constantly. Yeah, because that like like much needed guy for like Biff and Griff in the future, but like that was like like to me what passed for Mad Dog's like joke moment, you know. Um, my number eight is nineteen fifties Doc because he was like the very cartoony one. I thought, <laughs> yeah, like to the point where it was just truly ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I have Jennifer Parker at number seven. Hmm. So, yeah, mostly, um, mostly hoping that she wakes up and decides to ghost on uh, Marty McFly there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that he that his parents thought he just got back from the camping trip that we've been hearing about since the opening scene <laughs> of the first movie. You wore that to the lake? <laughs> oh, you yeah, the lake. <laughs> you and Jennifer are some weird shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my number seven was Copernicus. <laughs> nice. He has a little light, a little mining light. I like that. Also, because we had talked about before, like, was that the same dog and how confused <laughs> yeah. we were about his lifespan? When he was surprised that his dog was named Einstein, for a second I was like, wait, is Einstein not sitting right there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, like, is this somehow an alternate timeline that I, even the viewer, didn't recall? <laughs> um, My number six is Clara, the school teacher. Okay. That low, huh? 
I have uh, Chester, the bartender, at number six. Mm. He seems like a mostly stand-up guy. I have uh, Marty at number six. Mm. He, I don't know. I just this was like the worst versions of all of them. This one for me, he was just annoying and like too silly. Okay. I think we might have some controversy at the top of our rankings here. This should be fun. <laughs> should be, yeah, it should be interesting. Uh, no one's going to see my number one coming. <laughs> oh, I like this. Uh, my number five is both Chester and the uh, the three assholes in the bar. Like the Greek chorus of old West old timers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I've got Doc Brown at number five. Uh, downgraded for just being so goofy in this movie. Um, I have the clock at number five. <laughs> I really enjoyed seeing his origins and knowing that Doc actually like created it. It's it's like the bit at the end of that that current X Men trailer where you see James McAvoy in the suit. And he's oh, bald. don't get me started on that. <laughs> That's no. what we've really been tuning in for: is the origin <laughs> of the fucking clock. I did like seeing the the workings of the clock, all like the gears and the the weights and whatnot well, was like, like, that make it move. That was neat. I was like, why are you starting it now? Don't you want to put it up in the thing first? They had to test it, test run it before they put it where they could never reach it again. Mm-hmm. I, I, I guess so. <laughs> also, maybe building it so that you can never reach it again seems like a bad idea. <laughs> um, my number four is Doc Brown. Um, he's so fucking wishwashy. Like, I, I don't know how Marty hasn't noticed it or how he doesn't get annoyed with like how back and forth and, and quite possibly bipolar. Doc is at times. It's got to be frustrating to like it'd be like a teen sidekick in well, questionable terms. Normally, it's almost like it's just there for the plot. Yeah, like sometimes he's really cool with changing the timeline. Sometimes he isn't. Well, and and I wish I could say that Christopher Lloyd is like is playing this kind of like the Alec Guinness close to his vest way. Like I want to read so much into Doc Brown like interacting with himself in the part two. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't even know if Christopher Lloyd is bringing that or if he's getting that. So it's hard to say how he's playing. I mean, I just wanted to turn to Marty at one point in the Old West and be like, Marty, I know we talked about this in the 50s, like four times, four different <laughs> timelines. We talked about this in the 50s. I get it. I'm actually a genius, Marty. Duh. Yeah. Um, my number four is the bartender. <laughs> just because I really want to give him credit for creating. I think he meant the Bloody Mary. So, <laughs> yeah. Quite possibly. I have Clara at number four. Um, I'm. I mean, I feel like there are parts of this movie, like I said, where like I just can't stand her because she's so just like wah. Uh, but she kind of gains some of her own agency and you know goes and gets on a horse on her own at the end and whatnot. So mm. give that to her. It's an interesting like take on like the romantic comedy, like comings and goings, where she goes and finds him. Um, is willing to fight for that love that is three days old. Mm-hmm. Um, and include at least one night of passion together. Uh, my number three is Copernicus the dog, who, yes, has his own mining hat, like a fucking champion. But also, he's the one who finds Doc Brown's headstone. He's the one who's like, oh, this is kind of important, guys. That dog's a fucking genius. <laughs> I just want him to be like, like, you shouldn't go in the past, Marty. That's a bad idea. <laughs> Yeah, he's quite a blog of life, Dr. Pernicus. Um, my number three is Clara. I had her higher 
because I really liked her like horse chasing scene and all of the slapping and whatnot. But the way she talks is so like over the top damselly. Yeah. That it lowered her back down. Like even just like, the way she's like time machine. Like this like her, her like infl- everything about like, her inflections is so like wants. It's like almost like she's trying to sound dumb when we know she's not. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So takes it away. Yeah, I have uh, Marshall Strickland at number three. <laughs> I think uh, he he delivered. Apparently, in the originally, the uh, they're gonna have him like dead, like shot in the back by Biff or, or Mad Dog or whatever. But they like they changed that because they're like, no, that's too dark. I, I liked his look, like that was appropriately like old westy. He seemed to fit in the old west. Yeah, like like that's where. <laughs> This person, all the various like, mm-hmm. like iterations of Strickland belonged. Mm-hmm. I feel like Strickland's immortal and it's all been the same person for all the timelines. That would be fantastic. Or maybe that's like his clone, like his young clone that he's yeah. training. Exactly. Yeah. Or like, you know, at some point in part four. <laughs> I was he's the he's the immortal who has to give Marty like the special dagger that can kill Vern. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was amazed that they resisted the urge to have him like talk to his kid about slackers in the the eighteen eighty five. Yeah, yeah. Some real restraint. <laughs> I'm kind of wavering. My my one and two, I don't want to say they're interchangeable. I'll go off the original iteration. My number two is Jennifer, just because having rewatched these three movies with you guys uh, the past few weeks, like. Especially in, after coming out of the second one, and this one, she's hung in the back of my mind or a little more forward constantly. <laughs> so the point where Marty finally starts to exhibit concern about her, I guess that's always been my, my biggest issue with these movies. I mean, there's a lot of logical problems you could, you could dig up and find and excavate, but it's like leaving her on the porch in that dark timeline and then leaving. I, I don't know. So yeah, number two is Jennifer. And I like that she, she has some real like mental work to chew over if she uh what her future of Marty's gonna be like and is she all in? I hope not. I wish that a running gag had been like the town psychiatrist and you just see him getting richer and richer <laughs> yeah. every time they go back in time because it's just all the issues that Marty's gonna have to work out yeah. and Jennifer and everyone else involved. Yeah, seriously. Well and Lorraine, you would think yeah. would have been seeing this guy for decades. That's true. <laughs> His only clients are McFly's. He only sees them, and he is the richest man in town. And people they know, yeah. Um, my number two was 1800s Doc, or I guess 80s Doc. You know, the Doc, the cowboy. Yeah. Also, partly because, did you guys watch Daredevil season two? Mm-hmm. So, the big mystery was, like, the blacksmith. So, every time they were referring to him as the blacksmith, and just being like, the blacksmith is coming... I started like just imagining him as a blacksmith in Daredevil too, and like the Punisher, and I don't know. I just really, it took a turn. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. Also, I just side note: Aren't you kind of glad they didn't do a Goldie Wilson analog, but also kind of sad? Granted, it probably would not have been. It would have been horrible. So it would have been a pretty bad been depiction, but extremely upsetting. <laughs> I was just thinking about like all the characters who didn't get the call. You know, like you're yeah. doing these scenes in part two, but you don't have anything in part three. I guess I read somewhere originally they wanted uh, Crispin Glover to be the, the Seamus McFly character mm-hmm. instead of, uh, what's-his-face, Michael J. Fox, but I assume they probably wouldn't do it for money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my number two is Marty McFly. 
because uh, eh, gotta put him somewhere. He's he's relatively inoffensive in this movie. He's kind of just like hanging around, annoyed by Doc until he can get back to the future. Yeah, and he knows how to ride a horse and shoot a gun. Yeah, conquers his uh, fragile masculinity. It's okay with being <laughs> called a coward now. Mm-hmm. Although he still has, he can't just like slowly back the car up. He has to still go. You know, mm-hmm. he's still got a little ego. He can just reverse like a normal person. He has to, like do a spin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what the hell was up with that <laughs> why didn't he just like rev on the gas but like keep on the brake and just like stay there that's what like... I thought he was going to do and then no yeah. he still could have killed them basically like he could have like soared right into a tree and Jennifer's like drop me off at home mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <clears throat> my number one coincidentally is Marty McFly uh, not because I really want to put him at number one. It's just like, I feel like he had to fall in somewhere and I, I was ranking everyone else. And he just, like you said, he's relatively harmless for the most part. I guess he does technically learn something, even though he does it kind of a shitty way. Um, and just, you know, kids don't get in street races with the basis from Red Hot Chili Peppers. It mm-hmm. never works out. Never. Uh, my number one is Maggie McFly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even though she's in it for like four seconds, she is the first Lorraine to not want to fuck her son. So I was like, huge improvement. And she also, I really liked the third time I got to see the waking up scene. And I really enjoyed it this time. She just like was not here for it. Like she was like, it's Mrs. Don't forget that. Yeah. And I like she didn't even want Seamus to let him stay in the house. Like she was so opposite mm-hmm. all the other Lorraines that I really appreciated it. <laughs> Well, that is interesting. Maybe because she's a McFly, as we now realize, and not whatever Lorraine's mm-hmm. actual ancestry is. Right. So my number one is a combo of Seamus and Maggie McFly. Wow. <laughs> Seamus too, huh? Seamus, I feel like Seamus is, uh, he's like the optimal version of Marty, basically. He's a nice guy. He's like, hey, don't let your ego get in the way. Just be a good dude. And, you know, his wife is like, doesn't take any bullshit. She like sniffs Marty out immediately. I, I feel like these are the the best examples of the their whole genealogy here, basically, in the timeline. Would the movie... And let's not forget their son knows well enough to pee on Marty to really put him in his place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's how he takes the strangers. Would the movie have been better served if there was some kind of hijinks where like Seamus and Marty had to like impersonate each other? Oh god! I, I mean, I don't know how you would do that. Point but. out like how how ridiculous it is that they look the same. You know? Yeah. Well, and it's like they even do the thing where where Mad Doc comes in and he thinks that it's it's Seamus and it's mm-hmm. not, and he's like, "Oh, you're not Seamus? Okay, never mind." I also like the bit where Marty has the the frisbee pipe hand. He's like, "Oh, far out." And they're just like, "What are you talking about? It's right in front of him." I just like Lorraine, or not Lorraine, Maggie's general attitude of like just being over it completely with Marty. So much yeah, stuff that, that thinks the special effects, she never has to actually look at either one of them. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty good Irish accent. <laughs> yeah, she does good. I, uh, I watched a little bit, I watched about an hour of, there's a documentary on Netflix called Back in Time, which I would not recommend because it's not, it's not great. It really highlights the nerdery of this, like the people who proposed to their girlfriends at Florian conventions and shit. Uh, Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale kind of come off like assholes. The two details that I really like. Are you kidding me? The guys who wrote these movies might be assholes. The two two details that I wanted to share though is Leah Thompson said that 
like people think that she's this nice, sweet person based on partially her roles in these movies, when really like the incest thing was the part that she loved. <laughs> like, like she has this like like deadly black humor sensibility to her. Uh the other bit is there's a whole thing where Zemeckis is trying to break free from his from Spielberg during his career at this point. Mm-hmm. And Spielberg's telling these stories of how basically their pussy posse at the time was like him, Zemeckis, and like John Milius going around shooting things. Milius? Yeah, Milius. That's so bizarre. Right, that, right. That guy's like a hardcore, like right wing nut job. Exactly. Character. Yeah, the Red Dawn guy. Yeah, go mm-hmm. figure. <laughs> but it was just it was just an interesting reminder of the landscape of 80s cinema to me. Um Anyways, I just tried watching. I tried finishing. I couldn't finish it. It gets unbearable. But uh, I wanted to share that. Hmm. There's a bit with a cover band that plays basically the two Huey Lewis songs. I don't know what else they play. But there's an interview with these guys in this documentary where they talk as if they wrote the songs. Like the emotion they put into it and the way people come up to them at shows. And it's like... What other songs do you play? <laughs> well, that's a whole thing with cover bands in general. I mean, but I mean, they're called the Flux Capacitors. Oh, God. That's awful. It's horrible. <laughs> so overall, what would we say, uh, like ranking-wise? Is it part one, part two, part three in order? Do you guys have any any different rankings for these? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really just, you know, a decline. <laughs> Yep. Downward slope. No, not exactly a downward slope because it does. Part two gets the big uptick for when it went back to the fifties. Mm-hmm. Part one, it just uh, it bums me out watching it now because there's so much that's so perfect about the movie, except this detail that the entire plot line revolves around rape. Yeah, <laughs> you know? it's like no, why? Why does that have to be what the entire movie revolves around? It's it's almost been kind of depressing revisiting these movies. In a sense, because I wouldn't have, I don't think. If it wasn't for the podcast, you know. Well, thanks for listening to Headcanon. <laughs> Glad we could depress you. Um, yeah, this was fun. I think I don't know if we're going to do it next week or not. But what is it, uh, Indiana Jones? Is that what we're doing next? Oh, uh, that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. All right, we need to do a, uh, a Pretty Little Liars roundtable at some point soon. Yes. Yeah, we definitely do. Got lots of theories. So I guess I that would be. We should maybe talk about. The Keegan Allen James Franco porn movie that's coming out. Yes. Do we have to watch that? <laughs> Is that coming out in the theaters or like Netflix? I think it's like theaters, but I think it's more like an indie situation. Mm. I'm not sure. So it's coming out to a torrent site near you. Also, it's called King Cobra, which I keep thinking is a G.I. Joe movie. <laughs> that's a heck of a Speedo he's wearing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, there's that one, and there's also the uh, the one where Ian Harding's like a porn actor or something with uh, uh, Luna Lovegood. Oh, I've not heard of that one. For economy's sake, I need to all be the same movie. <laughs> no, it's it's real. It's like she's like a prostitute, and he's like a porn actor in like some earlier time period. I don't know. It's bizarre. Does it actually seem like perfect casting for Ian Harding? He has like a mustache on. I think. Whoa. It just got more perfect. Yeah. Well, maybe one day we'll talk about those. But yeah, uh, we definitely need to do a roundtable soon. And, and we'll be back eventually to talk about Indian Jones. Definitely want to thank you, Samantha, for joining us for all these. This is a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah, it was really fun. Thank you guys for having me. But I think this would be a good time just to first tell people to start sending in questions. Uh, date and time to come. <laughs> yeah, PLL questions. Set us up. 
but yeah can't wait for that all right well uh thank you for listening thank you for joining us samantha and uh we'll talk again soon Bye. yeah Bye.